House Flipping HQ Podcast, Episode 6. This, this, this is the House Flipping HQ Podcast. Giving you the strategies, techniques, and inside secrets of house flipping from today's top house flipping experts. House Flipping HQ. Your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Now, let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. What is going on, House Flipping Nation? Welcome to another episode of the House Flipping HQ podcast. Today is Halloween, the kids are excited. I'm excited. It's been just one week since we launched the House Flipping HQ podcast, and I'm just beside myself. I had high hopes of reaching the new and noteworthy uh, within the first week, but I had no idea we would ever come close to accomplishing what we've accomplished in the short period of time. In only one week, we've acquired over 2,500 downloads of the show. We have listeners in over 20 countries, 46 states. A couple of days ago, I was super excited to find out that not only did we have we been all over new and noteworthy, but we also reached the number 14 spot in all of business podcasts. And then today, I don't know how we did it, but somehow we broke uh, the top 10 and reached number seven of all business podcasts on iTunes. I'm just blown away. Could not have done this without you guys. Thank you so much. Please keep the ratings and reviews coming. That's what keeps us up there. Uh, You can leave us a rating and review at houseflippinghq.com slash subscribe. And that'll just mean the world to us and allow us to just keep this content going for you. And we're just so appreciative of everybody. Alrighty, so moving on to what else keeps the show going is amazing guests like the one we have today. Um... Today's a special day for two reasons. Our guest today will be sharing with us a lot of information that we have yet to discuss on the House Flipping HQ podcast. We're going to be going over marketing to direct sellers, uh, wholesaling, building houses from the ground up. Yes, you heard that right. And I'm just really excited. It's also the first time that I actually have an out-of-state guest out of California. You know, I'm from California, so a lot of my buddies and People I know, colleagues, are from California. So I'm branching out. I'm getting to know other people throughout the United States. And I'm just really excited about our guest today. So without any further ado, I would like to present to you the one, the only, uh, Tucker Merahue. How's it going, Tucker? Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. So uh, appreciate appreciate the offer to be uh, on. We're so glad to have you on. So I heard Tucker um, a few months ago back on a, on a different podcast, and I was just blown away at the stuff he was sharing. Um, I've since then actually applied a lot of the things I learned, but I want to dive in deeper. We're going to go into even more detail of all the success he's had. Tucker's been an investor since for about 11 years and gone more full-time in the past five. During that time, he has either flipped, wholesold, or built over 250 houses. Uh, He recently told me about a $2 million spec home that they just sold, and I'm just really excited to dive in. So let's get this house whipping show on the road. What do you say, Tucker? Let's do it. Let's get rolling. So let's start out. Let's hear a little bit about how you got started um, so the audience can connect a little bit with your story, 
and how you've accomplished so much in, in such a short period of time. Sure. Well, uh, first off, I started uh, investing back. Sorry, my dog just came in. <laughs> um, okay. So basically, I started investing back in 2002. Um, I got out of college. I couldn't really find a job. The one I did find was in the mortgage industry. And so that kind of, uh, I guess, fostered my career along in the sense that uh, I was able to get myself a loan for a house pretty much right away. And so I bought a house. I rented out three of the rooms, uh, gradually fixed it up. And uh, I ended up selling that house about two years and some change after I bought it, and made about 220 grand. Oh. So that was uh, that was kind of the first big check I made, and it really kind of was the seed capital that started, you know, what we've got going I feel on. Like today. we need to do a, do a disclaimer here. Do not expect the same results at home, please. <laughs> do not. It, now this was, you know, there was quite a bit of luck involved in this. It was, you know, I bought it on the run up. Um, you know, home prices, it was during the bubble. I just happened to sell right at the right time. <laughs> Looking back at it, I, I would probably never sell that house now just because it, it was on a busier road. It had a really funky sewer system and I just got really lucky. So we sold it and, um, you know, here we That's are today. Awesome. So That's so cool. Okay. So that was your first deal. Tell me more about um, what's led you up to where you're at right now. Where, what are you doing right now? What do you have going on right now? What's your business model? What Let's kind of get a better feel for what Tucker Marahue's doing sure. right now. So after that, I, you know, I bought a few rentals along the way. I flipped another duplex. Uh, I worked as a loan officer and then uh, started my own mortgage company. And then in 2008, I transitioned into working in the business that I work in every day right now, which is TTM Development Company. And we're probably Portland's biggest wholesaler, um, but we also uh, build probably 25 houses a year. And uh, they're generally high-end homes. Um, we also do a fair number of renovations. Um, some of them are, you know, gut rehabs, adding additions. Some of them are paint and carpet. It just depends, um, you know, what the deal is. But we do a whole, I guess, magnitude of things. Um, but mainly right now, our focus is wholesaling and uh, building new construction in higher end neighborhoods. And that's infill new construction, too. Okay, I'm, I'm just blown away. So you are Portland's biggest wholesaler. You build. I would say. I mean, oh, I don't know anybody. Okay, that does yeah. more, but no, but <laughs> self-proclaimed. So big, I guess. yeah. But no, I, I believe you. <laughs> biggest wholesaler. Uh, you're you're building twenty five. Do you say twenty five houses a year? Like like higher end houses. Twenty five <laughs> higher end houses. Yeah. And you're doing renovations. <laughs> and we're doing renovations. So um, you know, a few of those twenty five are, are I would say are not full builds, but you know, gut rehabs with additions. Um, and then there's probably a few in addition to that that are kind of more paint and carpet type. Yeah. All right, I'm just going to turn off the mic right now. Let's talk Tucker to teach me how, how you do all this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll let everybody listen in. <laughs> Sounds good. So, okay. Dive in. What, uh, I, I know the idea we were going to start with marketing, but tell me just how, how do you do How do you do it? Uh, what kind of team do you have? What, and then we can dive into Mark, whatever you, let's go wherever you want. Let's give some hardcore okay, well, content. Let's, let's talk about my team first so we can kind of understand, I guess, Perfect. um, the systems I have set up, the people I have in play that kind of allow us to do this kind of volume and do these things. Um, I'm kind of the, uh, we'll start with me. I'm kind of the controller, I guess, CEO type position. Um, I manage the business and I manage everybody's emotions. And for me, I work in the office and I've got uh, four other guys that work in the office with me. Um, and those guys are uh, Chris, who is our uh, marketing manager. Well, excuse me, he's our office manager slash our listing agent. So we have uh, an in-house real estate company that I own as well. So they list, uh, we list all of our own projects 
under the TTM brand as well. Um, so Chris, who's our office manager, he's also our listing agent. So what he does is he basically runs the lead funnel. So as leads come in every day, he you know uh, sifts, sorts them, calls them back, sees if there's any sort of a deal. Um, so he's kind of responsible for the front end uh, negotiating and conversations with any sort of uh, motivated seller leads that come into the office. Then we have Dan, who is also in the office with me, and he is our marketing manager. So he is essentially responsible for every piece of direct mail that goes out, every bit of online marketing that we do, every bit of network marketing that we do. Um, his job every day is to further the brand, further our reach, and um, you know allow us to continue to market um, you know on a really really heavy basis. Um, then we've got two guys that are full-time direct mail guys, and they write yellow letters, stuff envelopes. Uh, write addresses on envelopes, pretty much do all the stuff that uh, direct mail takes. We kind of have our own in-house direct mail. Awesome. Um, so we don't we don't really outsource too much of it. We do a little bit of the postcard stuff, but um, we're able to kind of run our own in-house direct mail. And so that's kind of the office staff, um, and it's kind of the nucleus of what drives our acquisition machine. Um, and then I'm kind of circling back to me. I kind of run the wholesaling. So um, as the leads come in and Chris, you know, deals with the funnel and kind of uh, sips and sorts them, if we get one that looks like a deal, we'll go out and see it, we'll contract it, and then I kind of take over um, the wholesaling side of it just because I've got the relationships with most of the other investors and builders in town. So um, it's just easier for me to shoot a text message, send an email, and get a property sold than to rely on somebody else. So I kind of head up the, uh, the sales side of wholesaling in addition to the general management of the whole business. Wow, love it. So let's get into a little more detail I was trying to bite my tongue and not ask you questions while you were talking. It was hard. <laughs> so well, let me maybe let me just finish okay. up on who is in the Perfect. field and then we can circle Perfect. back and do this just so I don't kind of miss anything here for you. Um, out in the field, we've got uh, two project managers. Um, one is my wife, Joni, and uh, she's kind of the general project manager slash head designer. So she does all of our design work and then is also kind of the general project manager of all of our projects. Um, we have uh, another individual named Jerry, and he is our kind of on-site project manager. So he's in the field every day, um, going to all the houses, making sure the subs showed up, making sure they did things correctly. And then uh, under him, we've got a couple of uh, guys that are, I guess, um, laborers, but also just kind of do all the in-between stuff that subs can't do. Um, and so uh, that kind of makes up our team. Wow, that's awesome. So, okay, let's dive into a little more specifics on... Let's just start with marketing. Let's let's dive into marketing. Sure. I think that's one of the most important things. So how do you do your marketing? How do you go about marketing? How can the people listening, you know, let's say they've never I've got I mean I've been getting like I've been getting a lot of emails since the show's been blowing up. And I'm I'm meaning to post a post on how to work with direct sellers. In fact, it's probably gonna go live, you know, next week by the time this podcast goes live. But what are some ways you do you market to these direct sellers? Well, I guess before we get into it, um, we don't really buy anything off RMLS. Uh, we used to. We used to buy a lot of REOs. We used to buy at auction. But I kind of saw the writing on the wall about three years ago. Um, that eventually was going to become really competitive and kind of constrict your deal flow if that's the only place you're buying or you're going to have to pay a lot more for properties. So we dove into the direct-to-homeowner niche um, and we've been there ever since. And, uh, you know, we buy pretty much every property direct from homeowner. So. The machine that drives that enables us to do that is mainly direct mail and then also a lot of online marketing. And so within our direct mail, we do um, a variety of things. We do yellow letters. We do um, you know other handwritten letters. We do print letters. 
Uh, we do postcards, and then we do, you know, every every door direct mail postcards. So we do kind of a variety of things to really saturate areas and lists that we think, um, you know, will be profitable for can, us. Can we, a lot of people may not know what a yellow letter is. Do you just want to briefly go over what that is? Yeah, it's it's a simple, I mean, that's kind of the catchy phrase, but it's just a really a handwritten letter that says, hey, I was driving through the neighborhood. I noticed your house. I'd be interested in buying it. Uh, give me a call. I'd love to chat with you. Thanks. And the idea is that it looks handwritten. So it looks like you took the time to write it and that, you know, you actually are legitimately interested in their property. Um, and so that kind of spurs them to respond more so than a, a you know, generic postcard or something yeah, like and that. It's really simple. I mean, so many people are like, oh, what should I write in my yellow letter? I'm like, just write anything that comes to your mind and get it out there. <laughs> just It doesn't really matter. I mean, we've tweaked our copy, you know, over the years, but the most important thing is just getting them out there and consistently, you know, uh, putting them in front of homeowners. And you do that, it really doesn't matter what you write, they'll call totally. you. So you got yellow letters, other handwritten letters. Um, and just so everyone knows, I mean, I, I know you said you have people writing these full time, but what you are referring to is they're writing on the envelope. And I mean, my assumption is you make it look like they wrote the actual letter, but you're making copies of it. They write it out and then you make. No, no, they they actually wow. write it. We don't we don't make copies of anything. Ooh. We actually do handwritten everything. Um, and it's it's really not that expensive. Um, you know, we've got a couple guys that are you know ten dollar an hour guys, and wow. it, it really doesn't work out to be that expensive. So, and it, and it has a much better look. I personally, I've seen the hand, the the copied handwritten letters, and you know, we've had sellers that we bought deals from where I've looked at the stack of mail, and there's been copied handwritten letters, and they sit there and make fun of them with me. So, <laughs> nice. hey. you know, for that reason alone, it's worth the investment for me to have these guys really handwrite them and uh, make it look legitimate. Okay, that's really cool. I've don't know if I've ever known anyone who's actually handwritten every one of those letters. That's hardcore. <laughs> I like it. It works. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Hey, we could be done right now. That's. I just want to call my assistant right now and say, listen to this and do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, disclaimer is I don't write them, but you know we have no, people. No, no, no. I wouldn't write them. I mean, have her so, have someone else yeah. write them. But yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. You you would Very not have time to write those. No way. There's no way. So. Not a chance. Let's keep going. Now, where the list, right? You have, we know what you're doing. You're doing some letters, some postcards. Um, I want to talk about the every door stuff because I think that's really cool too. I heard you talking about that in the other interview. Um, mm -hmm. But first off, how do people know who to mail these letters to? I mean, do they just mail them to anybody or how do you focus on who to mail it to? Well, you know, there's your traditional kind of more list that everybody talks about, which is your absent, excuse me, absentee owners. Um, I'm not a real huge fan of that type of list just because that's usually the first list investors mail when they get into the direct mail game because that's what everybody talks okay. about. So our main lists are we do a ton of probate, um, anything that has to do with probate. So whether that's um, an inherited list, whether that's a list of personal representative deed transfers, um, whether that's an actual probate case file that we research in our local newspaper and then find the owner of the property and mail them. Um, or, you know, who was the owner of the property. Um, and then we also do a ton of driving for dollars. So nice. we kind of, we canvas areas. I've got road warriors that go out and they drive the areas. They write down the addresses. We, they come back to the office. They do all the research. And then from there on, we've got a, a rock solid list for that area of every house that we would actually want to buy in that area. Okay. So I'm just going to like pick this apart. So let's talk a little more about probate. If someone wants to get involved in probate, it's actually something we want to get more involved in. It's funny because just because I'm 
doing 100 flips a year, people think I know everything about every way to buy houses. Honestly, I don't know a ton about probate, to tell you the truth. We've done a couple deals, but someone brought them to us. Mm-hmm. I know people. we've gone down to the courthouse and you can find it's like public record, right? But how are you getting this list that you're talking about? So there's two ways. Um, we've The easiest way is, and it's essentially a probate, it's a little different, but pretty close to the same, is um, there's an inherited properties list that you know, a lot of investors have bought it. We've been buying it for, I don't know, three and a half years now since it came out. And uh, I think they're actually based out of San Diego, um, the guys that sell it. But uh, you know that's the easiest way. And if you mail that list, they do sell it to other investors, but if you mail it consistently, you'll get deals. Um, the other way, which is a little more, you know, getting your hands dirty and really digging up probate files. And there's a couple ways to do that. Some counties, you actually have to go down to the courthouse and dig through the probate files. Fortunately, we don't have to do that here. We get a, uh, a business newspaper that comes every day. And then within that newspaper, um, is a new published probate file. So once an attorney starts the probate process, they have to advertise so that potential creditors could come forward and say, Hey, the state owes me money. Um, when they put out that ad, we're able to um, see that in the local paper, and from there we do our research, um, basically taking the name in the ad, cross-reference it within a system we have to find out if that name owns any real property, and then from there, um, you know, we kind of complete our work and send out a letter. Awesome. Now, do you network with attorneys as well? I've heard. Oh yeah, we uh, we do a ton of networking. We mail the hell out of them, and we email them. We call them. Um, you know, that's been a, a, one of our kind of secret projects, but it's, it's been real it's secret. So we us. can't talk about it. Most of my listeners are else, in California. You're in Portland. So don't, no one's yeah, going to hear it. True. Well, <laughs> that, <laughs> uh, most people don't really want to do that either because they're scared of attorneys for, you know, a variety of reasons, but, um, you just got to get over that and just, you know, get in front of them one way or the other. And eventually they will start calling you with deals. Okay. Attorneys. I want to mail attorneys. How do I go about that? Do I Google it? Do I look up probate attorneys? What do I do to mail these guys and call them? What I did is I hired a high school kid to go through and basically go online and scrape every uh, contact information for every probate attorney we could find in Portland. And uh, then we created a list that we dropped into an AWeber constant contact so we could create an ongoing uh, blast email to them. And then we also uh, mail them on a consistent basis. So um, we do kind of a variety of things. Recently, one of the cool things we did, I don't know if uh, you guys, uh, if you listen to the I Love Marketing podcast, but um, the guys on there mentioned a, uh, sending what they call a nine-word email out, out, and it gets people to respond. It's it's so generic and simple that people think that it's specific to them enough that it actually spurs them to respond. So we've had a hard time getting attorneys to respond to our emails because they're, for whatever reason, but we recently sent out this nine-word email that was just like, hey, did you get my last email about that house or something <laughs> you know, ridiculous as that? And we got like a 60% response what? rate. So it opened, up, it opened up the conversation with all these attorneys that we couldn't get to respond for the life of us otherwise. Wow. And so, you know, that's, we've got a house that we, uh, we looked at this week that we're going to buy just because of that one email. I mean, so in your first email, I assume you're saying, hey, I'm Tucker Merrihue with such and such company and we've done this amount of volume and trying to like, you know, make yourself look like, hey, we can perform quickly. We can make this happen. But then the nine word email is working better. <laughs> Um, you know, we start out with sending them a letter and an email that says, Hey, you know, this is who I am. This is my company. This is what we do. So they know who we are at that point. It's not just a, you know, random nine word email that we send it. We work up to it. Cool. Awesome. So, okay. Anything else on probate? What, what, how about the letters that you send out? Um, you know, someone just died, right? I mean, 
Is that don't ever mention the death? Okay. Uh, we don't. Uh, you know, once you mention it, we kind of play stupid um, a little bit. We know that there's been a death, but some people will be open to talking about it with you, and other people will be more sensitive about it. So we just send them a generic letter that says, "Hey, I'm interested in buying your house." We don't mention anything about the actual death. It'll come up um, if they end up doing business with us, and you know, it just. It feels less invasive on them. I, I, I know some people teach to do that, but I just don't agree with okay, it. Okay, I like that. So, okay, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, so who am I going to mail to, right? I mean, this person is dead who owned the house. So when somebody dies, um, there's an attorney that has to handle the probate file, and then there's a personal representative that's assigned. So that personal representative is usually whoever died, it's the person they trust the most to handle their affairs. And so... Ultimately, you want to get that letter that we're mailing in the hands of the personal representative or the attorney or both. We try and get them into both. Um, now, you can get a little deeper and try and find out who this personal representative is, where they live, and mail them a letter. But we just keep it simple. We mail it to the property address of the person that died. We figured that the personal rep will be picking up their mail. So eventually, they'll get it. And so that cuts out an additional step of research for us, and it's worked really okay. well. So how many... Do you just send them one letter? How many letters do you send out and how often? Uh, we send probably seven or eight letters over the course of a year. Um, you know, we, we get a lot of, a good response on our first letter, but, you know, by continuing to send them, we continually get calls. So we just, we basically try to annoy people to the point that they call. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, and are all these letters the same or are they, they different? They, they vary a little bit. You know, the first one's, hey, I'm Tucker with TTM Development Company. The next one is, hey, I'm Tucker with TTM Development Company. I recently sent you a letter. You know, just a, a you know, some sort of variation of that. So you're getting the branding out there. They see it's the same from the same person, similar letter, but just changed up just a little bit. Yeah. Isn't exactly. it complicating to, how do you keep track of all that? I mean, seven letters sending to hundreds of people. So I have a marketing manager. <laughs> so we, he, he handles all of that. Uh, we have a big whiteboard in the office of every list that we have, what ones we're mailing this week. Uh, we have a database. We use Zoho um, that kind of keeps what track of w- what we mail. When. Uh, Zoho. Zoho. How do you spell that? Zoho. Uh, Z-O-H-O. Z-O-H-O. So we'll hook up to that in the, the show notes. Yeah. It's a CRM system, customer relation manager, awesome. I think is what it means. Um, it basically just allows you to keep your business organized. And then we also use a lot of Excel files to kind of um, keep track of who calls in off what list, when they called in, after how many letters, you know, was it a good call? Was it a bad call? Do they want to kill us? Do they want to sell us <laughs> their house? You know, so it just, it just depends. Okay. Okay. Really good. All right. Well, let's, uh, anything else on probate? Uh, I think we, okay. we really covered okay. that one good. Let's dive into driving for dollars. I think this would be something that's really good for people just getting started. So let's really focus on some detail on on that way of buying properties? Sure. Um, you know, driving for dollars is my favorite list because every property that we write down is actually a property that we would want to buy. Um, so we go and we identify a neighborhood that we're interested in buying houses in, uh, whether it's to wholesale or whether it's to buy and tear down and rebuild. Um, and once we do that, I outline a map for our guy that goes and does it. And he goes out in the field, he drives every street, he writes down every address that looks like a house that um, is something we want to buy, either because it's dilapidated, run down, or it's a small house in a really high-end neighborhood. Um, And then he comes back to the office, he researches who owns it, Uh, we put it in a database, and then we uh, hand that to our letter writers and let them crank out the letters. Okay, how does he find who owns it? Um, we use our title company's um, back-end system, which basically is like a, a tax roll search 
um, where you can put in an address and it'll bring up who the owner is and whether it's, you know, occupied or owner occupied or, or an investment property for okay, them. Okay. So identify neighborhood that you want to focus on. Look for homes that are either um, subpar to that you can rebuild or ones that are dilapidated, obviously need to be fixed up, maybe vacant. He writes down all of those. Um, you contact your title company and they're able to. Well, we don't. Yeah, we don't have to contact them. We actually have a login into their system. Ah, nice. So we just go in ourselves um, into the back end of their system where we can search. So we put in a property address and it brings up the owner and we can actually search and find out when was the mortgage they took out on it for how much with who, um, you know, we have access to all that. And, and if you've got a good relationship with your title company, anybody can get that information or get into that system. You know, they each have their own system like that. We just happen to use our Okay. And then do you mail to that home or do you mail to them? You probably find a mailing address for them. My assumption would be. Yeah. So we find out, okay, do they live in that house? If they do, that's where we're mailing. If they don't live in that house and it's a, a rental home for them, we find out where they do live and then we mail to where they do live. Okay. And then do you focus on the same idea of just mailing them a letter that says handwritten letter? Hey, I'd like to buy your home. Our system is, um, you know, we do a handwritten letter and then we do print, print, postcard. So we awesome. kind of break it up. We do we start with the handwritten and then we go to prints and then we hit them with postcards. And for the driving for dollars, how often do you send those? Um, probably we try and hit everybody once a month. Okay. For about four months, it sounds like. Yeah. And sometimes more. Um, it just depends on the neighborhood and if we want, if we're having good luck with our response rate, if we're not, then we, and we do the on. same thing. I mean, we just hit an area really hard. I'm kind of like you. I used to do a lot of trustee sales and online stuff. We're still doing some online, um, but we're, we haven't done trustee sales in months. So we're starting to hit direct marketing a lot. And there was an area where every month we just kept hitting it because we kept getting results. And then just recently we were analyzing, we're like, um, our results have really slowed. So we'll take a few months off and then maybe hit it again. I don't know. We'll see. So, yeah, I mean, there's one neighborhood in Portland that we just call it the black hole because we can't get anybody to respond to the life of us. So that's one that we just decide, you know, what the hell with it. And that, so. you know, that's, that's what marketing is all about is testing, you know, so don't give up. What are your responses on some of these? So we got probates, you know, for every hundred you send out, you know, we, we probably get, I don't know. It just depends. It really is hard to give it a cumulative number, but on our first mailing, you know, we probably get somewhere around 15 calls and, you know, our second mailing, maybe we get that or a little more. Um, they just kind of trickle in at various times. So it's hard to keep a complete response rate for each list because it's such an, you know, ongoing process for us um, with every list. But, you know, I just gauge it by is the phone continually ringing every day? Is our pipeline full? Sure. How's our wholesale volume? You know, if our wholesale volume is great and our pipeline is full for development deals and new builds, then, you know, Great. Yeah. Are we making more, a lot more money than we're spending on marketing? <laughs> exactly. That's how I gauge it. I don't really get into the whole, you know, I don't waste my time kind of figure out, do we have a 14% response totally. rate? Do we have a 16%? It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's about how and much money. And you bring up making. a really good point. And I've talked about this before too. Sometimes people talk about oh. getting this response rate, but then if you're hitting that same list seven times, well, what is your response rate? But, um, okay, that's good. Yeah. Who cares? As long as you're making money, who cares? Right. So <laughs> yeah, that's what all right. I so let's <laughs> let's move right on. So what's the uh, the next way you're mar so we we covered probate, we covered driving for dollars. How else are you marketing to these uh, direct sellers? We do a lot of online marketing. Um, so within that, we've done a lot of YouTube videos over the years. We have a website. Um, we have a couple different websites that are uh, kind of I guess um, elaborate squeeze pages that um, essentially get people to go to them. We tell them what we do. They put in their information. 
the lead comes to our email inbox and then we contact them that way. Another way that we do it is through pay-per-click marketing. So we do a lot of Google PPC and um, that has been real fruitful for us too. Right. So let's talk about the squeeze pages or how did you say that you're driving traffic to those? So we have a lot of YouTube videos out there that we've tagged and put the, you know, correct, I guess, name of the video and, you know, so that it matches highest, key, you know, keyword phrases that people search. Um, we just have a pretty big web presence over the years. I've put a lot of videos out. We've got a lot of websites. I've hired people to help our organic rankings. Um, so we've got, you know, sites that whenever you type in sell house passport on, we've got probably three or four sites that are nice. in the top 10. Plus we do the pay-per-click. So the chances of somebody clicking on something of ours when they search that is a pretty high probability, more so than any of our competition anyway. How much are you willing to dive into that? I mean, I don't want to get too into your, you know, trade secrets, but... You know, it's, there really isn't, I, I don't manage the PPC myself, okay. so I couldn't tell you all of the, the super techie stuff, but, you know, it's pretty basic. You just bid on keyword phrases. So we pick keyword phrases that we think will yield the best results. So... What I mean is, you know, let's say sell house fast Portland seems to be generating the most leads for us. That's the phrase that we bid on the most and we bid the most for. So every time somebody puts that in, we pop up in the, under the paid search and hopefully somebody clicks on us and goes to our so page. So it goes to your squeeze page. Um, and then uh, just so everyone knows, a squeeze page is basically a, a one page. You know, the goal is to get someone to do one thing, not to get them distracted with a big website. Um and the goal is to send, what does that squeeze page look like more or less? What does it say on it? Um, there's a couple of them people can go to. One of them is ttmcash.com. The other one is sell to ttm.com. And uh, they're just a couple different ways to display our brand. One is more, you know, sell your house fast for cash. The other one is, hey, you know, if you need to sell your house and it has some work, we might be a good fit for you. So it, they're just a little different way to, to kind of sell the same product. Um, but we've kind of put two out there so that we can, uh, we just wanted to kind of test and see which one I guess appeals to different people. And they've both been really successful for us kind of bringing in a different type of clientele. Are you able to tell how many leads you're getting through organic search versus pay-per-click? Um, we can see our, I guess, organic, uh, volume of visitors to the page. And then usually when that goes up, our leads go up. And then we're able to track exact number of clicks on our on our pay per click. Um, so you know we analyze it the best we can. But again, I don't analyze it to the extent that we we're talking sure. about direct mail. Just, it, yeah, if if we're getting leads in online and it's worth the money we're paying, then great. If not, then we move yeah, on. Yeah, I'm kind of similar. I mean, I, a lot of guys will ask me things like, "Hey, what's this guy doing over here?" And I'm like, you know, what? I worry about myself. <laughs> and anyway. yeah, exactly. But uh, the YouTube is that your main focus though to drive traffic? And how often are you posting YouTube videos? Um, it was for a while. Um, we've probably got, I don't know, 20 or 30 YouTube videos out there that have been out for a while. So as they're out there for a while and they, the number of views goes up, they kind of you know embed themselves deeper and deeper into the search engine. So um, we've got one that, a couple videos that we made that are on our, um, our home pages for both websites. And they've got you know a few thousand views each. Wow. So when you do a search, they're pretty much the first thing that pops up because, you know, uh, Google wants to show YouTube more than anybody else, apparently, when you do a search. So um, those videos pop up, you know, close to the top of the searches when people search any particular, you sell my house phrase. And okay, and then those calls, just like all the other calls, go to uh, Chris, your marketing, or, or Dan? Yeah, they go to Chris. So um, we've got, uh, you know, our, our phone line that 
people call in and they either leave a message or most of the time we have them leave a message and then we kind of listen to, you know, what the situation is, what the property address is, um, and kind of, I guess, screen them a little bit. Uh, we don't like to take every phone call because it's a great way to burn yourself yeah, out and deal with a lot of, you can deal with a lot of a-holes if you do yeah. that. And, um, you know, when you're going direct to homeowner, you really have to kind of um, make sure that you're protecting yourself a little bit because you can really burn yourself out quick if you deal with all the people that call in and want to bitch. Oh, it brings day. you down. You could be making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it'll just bring you down to a place you don't want to be, which is why I don't yeah. take the calls. Now we... <laughs> Now we're at the point where we actually find it humorous. I, I record all of our uh, nasty calls, and we're actually gonna. When we lost launched our own podcast here in a, week, a month or so, we're gonna have a, a section dedicated to direct mail's greatest hits. That'll so be awesome. Uh, keep, keep your ears open I for that. Can't be wait. Funny. We'll uh, we'll send out a link when that comes for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I want to get into the, you know, taking the calls and how that goes more. But what are we? Are we missing anything else for marketing? Um. So the calls come in, you know, we, we kind of, I guess, sift and sort them. Uh, we determine if it sounds like a good deal or if there's a deal at all. Well, I'm going to jump, um, I'm gonna jump back to... a little bit. Sorry. Okay. So what number are they calling? Is it like a 1-800 number or a local number? No, no, it's a local number. We don't use 1-800 numbers at all. Is it any special all. number? Um, like, is it four, six, you know, five, 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 or is it just a random number? It's pretty generic. I mean, it's fairly memorable, but nothing like, you know, sell 5555, you know, or anything like that. Um, we just, that's the number we've been marketing with forever. I really, you know, maybe it helps if you're doing a lot of like generic brand marketing to have that type of number. But if you're doing direct response marketing, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter right? if you have that. Type so are you using a cell phone, direct line, Google Voice? Um, we do a couple of things. One is a direct line to the office, and then the other is um, a direct line to basically a dummy phone that we don't ever pick up, but it just takes messages. Okay, perfect. So you don't answer the calls live. Um, do you sometimes answer them live or not always? Yeah, we do. If people call the office, so if you know, when we send out our handwritten letters, we direct them to the dummy phone because um, it's not as, I guess, high quality of a lead a lot of times. When we send out our printed letters, they know exactly what word we do because we say it within the letter. And so if they call that number, they're calling the office because they've already pre-screened themselves. They know what we do. They know what we're about. They've probably gone to our website. And by the time they call, they're interested in doing business. Oh, this is good. So two numbers, one for lower quality, one for higher quality. Lower quality gets sifted through because the other ones have already been sifted through by the letter. Exactly. Oh man, I exactly. like it. <laughs> hey, this, <laughs> you like that. I'm really going to implement a lot of this, so I hope hope you're okay with that. We'll we'll have you back That's in a I'm few here. months, and we'll talk about what we did in our business that that you helped us with, basically. So, okay, got it. Now, Chris returns those calls. What hours does Chris work, more or less, and how how quickly does he get back to these people? Uh, he's nine to five in the office most days. Um, you know, he's our listing agent too, so occasionally he has to go out in the field and do listing agent duties. Um, but generally nine to five is when the office, you know, phone picks up and uh, he'll be on the other end of that. Okay. So he'll answer the ones live. And then when he's not answering live calls or out in the field, he'll just return. He just has a list of messages he listens to and returns the good calls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, he'll, uh, we have kind of a lead sheet. So, you know, the call comes in, uh, we have a, a sheet that says, okay, what's, wh who's the person, what's the address. Um, then we look them up and find out what list did they come off of. And then there's a note section that says, okay, are they, they sound motivated? Do they sound angry? Does it sound like a good lead, bad lead? You know, what is it? Um, and so and then he'll talk, if he actually talks to them, he'll go through his list of questions, um, kind of getting an idea of the condition of the home. Um, what air is the home? Does it have an oil tank in the yard? How's the roof? Have you replaced the windows? Um, just general qualifying questions. 
And then he'll take those notes. He'll give the lead to me. Um, we'll talk about it. We'll do some research on it, kind of compare and contrast what it is that they say that they want for the home versus what we need to buy it at, um, at least after doing our online research. And if it seems like there's a potential for a deal or it's a rock solid A plus neighborhood, we go see the house and we try and further the deal. Okay. Love it. So you guys get back to them, basically. You don't give them like yeah, an offer on back. the phone or anything like that. No, we try and call people back right away. And then when we tell them we're going to call them Tuesday, we call them Tuesday. That's one thing about our competition. They, you know, people kind of let things blow in the wind and they don't get back to you on a timely basis. We try and make a point of getting back to people right okay, away. So I'm going to go through. So what does the message say when they leave a message? What, what does your message say on the recording? The generic line says, hey, you've reached Tucker. If this is about a house, uh, leave your name and the property address and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. So really personable, not like big business like. No, but if they call the office, then it says, hey, you've reached the TTM companies. I'm sorry, we can't take okay. your call right now. Um, if this is about a property, leave the property address. We'll call so even though can. your message says this is Tucker, it's actually Chris that calls him back. And he just says, I'm calling for uh, Tucker. Or We've set it up so that he says, hey, you called my business partner, Tucker. Uh, he's unavailable, but he wanted me to call you back. And I love that because it gives you a better negotiating leverage because he can always say, let me talk to Tucker about this rather than. Yeah, we've. <laughs> you got it. You're on. You're on something. Good. Uh, that's kind of our good cop, bad cop Holy. routine, and um, it works well because then when they're talking to him, it's almost like there's a realtor in the middle, even though he is a realtor. Um, but it gives them kind of a little more comfortableness in talking to us, and they feel like they can kind of work with him, and he can try and play both sides of the fence to say, "Hey, let me see what I can Holy. do. I'll talk to Tucker. Maybe I can get him up a thousand bucks. You know, let's see." And so it works. It works. Really okay. Well. Okay. Love it. Love it. Um. I might have some follow-up questions for you later. Sorry, just <laughs> that's fine. No. We're covering a lot of stuff. I know this. So this fine. will probably be our longer podcast, longest podcast ever. Hope you're okay with that. But okay, so negotiating, you tie up the deal. Now, okay, now how do you tie up the deal? Do you ever send offers in the mail, or do you go to the house? Um, we will do both, uh, but generally we send it via email, um, or we have uh, myself or Chris will go to the property and actually sign it face to face. How about verbal? People, do you ever, do, you ever do verbal offers, or usually do email or face to face? Um, We'll do verbal first, but then we always make it legitimate with an actual okay. offer. Um, just because when we go, you know, to sell it or to buy it, you know, title company wants purchase and sale agreement at some point generally. So we have to have that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we got to move on, but we might have you on another time because I want to dive into more of this. <laughs> That's fine. So, Keep going. So you go, you just tie it up with a generic contract or do you use like the realtor contract? Uh, we use a one-page Stevens Nest form, um, so it's really simple one-page contract. Stevens Nest form? What I, I haven't heard of that. It's a Stevens Nest is like a I don't know like a stationary forms oh, company, okay. and they have this form number eighteen. It's their standard purchase and sale agreement, and it's a one-page form. Well, the reason why we use that is because it's so simple that nobody's scared of it. But they've also had probably ten thousand attorneys pile over it, and there's no other changes that can be made to it. Nice. So if somebody gets it and they say, "I've got to have my attorney look at this," we can say, "Well, if your attorney has to make any changes to it, they're ripping you off because I'm sure these people paid all their attorneys well to make sure that there are no changes that are needed." Love it. Love so. It. so okay, you've tied up the property. Okay, let's get into wholesaling now. Okay. A lot of new investors, sure. great way to start is wholesaling. Everyone's always like, oh, I don't have the money. I'm like, just wholesale at first. Don't worry about the money until you have to. So how do you go about wholesaling these? What, what is wholesaling real quick? And then how do you go about wholesaling some of these houses? So wholesaling, I guess in a nutshell, is we find the deal. Um, we put the deal together. 
we negotiate a price that is lower than what our buyer will pay. And our buyer is then another investor to sell it. And so um, what we do is we negotiate a lower price and then I tack on whatever it is we feel that we can make on that property while still passing along a good enough deal that somebody will want to buy it quickly. Um, and then I make a phone call, text message, email to our buyers list of guys that are regular buyers and um, they say they want it and that's it. We do the paperwork, go to closing, done. Okay, cool. So now when you do the paperwork, I mean, are you doing like an assignment? Are you assigning the contract? It's essentially an assignment. Um, we just, we do an addendum at closing that states that uh, buyer will be XYZ company instead of my company. And then uh, the the seller signs it, I sign it, and then they end up, end up going to closing and then we get our assignment fee on top now, of that. Now, do you tell your sellers this ahead of time that you plan on selling the house? Or do you, you probably don't really know at the time. That's we don't really know at the time. Um, they, really, all they care about is that we perform on time. For sure. And you know, we we've, we've got a the people we sell to. We've got a really good relationship with, and we've partnered on projects in the past with a lot of them. So if the seller thinks that we're doing the rehab, I mean, in essence, we are. We have such a good relationship with most uh -huh. of our buyers that if they want to go through the house after they're done, we can arrange that just the same as if we did the the rehab. So in it's almost like as if a partner and you're just closing in a different entity. No big deal. Exactly. And then they're just paying you on the side and what, what are the, is there any things people need to be careful about? I mean, how do they, how do you get paid? Does it matter? You just get paid. They just send you a check or what? I mean, we get paid. It's on the HUD. Okay. Um, you know, title sends us the money okay. every okay, time. Cool. So you're like getting, you're getting paid through title. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's accounted for. It's not like it's shifty, you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, okay cool. No, I just want to, want to throw that out there. So I, I went through an IRS audit this year, so I, you know, we got to make sure we're doing things properly. Wow. Nice. <laughs> I don't like to hear that. <laughs> well, they issued a no change letter, so awesome. we, uh, we got through well, it. No, we're good to go, but it just sounds like it'd be a headache. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was a headache. I'll give you that. Um, okay, cool. So wholesaling is just, it's not that difficult. And if people find good buyers to buy their wholesale properties, they'll help them with that transaction, right? Exactly. So there's two sticking points with wholesaling. One is being able to find the deal. Everybody's got to be able to find a deal. Um, we feel the best way to do that is through direct mail or online marketing. Then you have to have a uh, fairly sophisticated, reliable buyer, um, which is somebody that knows what a deal looks like and they can perform and actually buy the property. Um, so it's key to have a seasoned rehabber, um, somebody that's been in the game for a while that's your buyer so that it, you know, they can perform and you don't look like an ass at the end of the day and have to cancel a contract. So what about those guys that go out and they feel like they need to get like 2000 buyers, a huge list, blast it out to them. What do you think about that? I think they don't really wholesale. Yep, I, <laughs> I, I think that, uh, if you have five at a maximum, I mean, we sell the three people generally and, uh, you know, they're, they're all very high volume rehabbers, but if you have five solid guys that you can call at any given time that are looking for properties, you've got more than enough. And within those five, you want to have people that are kind of your paint and carpet guys, the guys that are your bigger rehab guys, your high dollar guys, your low dollar guys. You want to kind of get a variance in who is buying, who can buy from you so that when you get a deal in, part of what we do is we say, okay, this deal is probably best for this guy. And so we make the call to the guy that we feel it's the best deal for most of the time. Now, everybody wants paint and carpet deals, but you know, some guys won't buy anything but paint and carpet deals. So to put a, you know, a gut rehab in front of a paint and carpet guy, you're going to be wasting your time. Uh, and I totally agree with you. It's all about the relationship. I mean, we've purchased 
at least 10 properties in the last 30 days just from wholesalers. And it's the same three guys because I trust them. I'll get this these lists from other people. They send me out garbage. I don't even look at it. I, I delete them from my list. Go away. You know, if you really want to work with me, prove to me that you're a true wholesaler. Pick up the phone. Give me a call. Don't send it out to 100 people and then have me like bid against them. And then it's just ridiculous. So. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, part of what makes us successful in the wholesale end is, you know, we are our own contractor. We build homes, we renovate homes. So, you know, we know what costs are. We know the magnitude of what's going to be needed as far as the renovation goes. So when we tell guys, hey, look, this is the price. This is what it's going to take to rehab it. And this is what you should sell it for. They know we've already run it through, you know, our system to analyze the deal. And it's a winner. So we don't push anything that people can't make money on. So because we've made a point not to sell crappy deals, you know, we generally sell stuff with a text message or an email without them ever looking at the house because they trust us enough that we're pushing good product. For sure. And I and the three to four main guys that I buy houses from, they know. Just they know what I'm looking for. Just exactly. call. It's not even I know when they call me with a deal, I don't even have to look at the house. I recommend people go, you know, go do your due diligence, but I just know. And then that's the relationship that we've built over time. So don't do that right up exactly. right away. But and that relationship is what will make you a lot of money in this exactly. business. Exactly. And, and they, they know I got to make money. I know they got to make money. My goal is to make them as much money as possible. In fact, I will sometimes, you know, take them out to eat afterwards and give them, you know, a few Ben Franklins just if we do well on the deal, because I want the next one coming to me as well. <laughs> right. I mean, for example, we did a, we've got, I don't know, seven wholesale deals we're doing this month. And uh, of the three that we've already done. Um, we sold two of them to the same guy. One guy, you know, the first one we sold him, we made a pretty fat check on. Um, he knows what we made. We made like twenty three grand on him. Awesome. And then the second one, um, we negotiated a really good deal on the second one, and we negotiated. And then I told him I'd take five grand payment on the back nice. just to kind of protect him because it was a big project. Um, but I, I took care of him. You know, we made a lot of money on one. I gave him another one that could be a home run for him. And if it's a home run, he's only got to pay us five grand. And it's on the backside That's of the awesome. deal. And, and I do the same thing. It's like, how, it's just, just how can we make this work? You know, is, is what it comes down to, to where it's not too risky. Exactly. If they're successful, we're successful as a wholesaler. Exactly. So that's kind of how it works. All right, Tucker, I might have to uh, start buying houses from you there in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of money to be made up here. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, let's dive right into building houses as if it were just something simple, right? <laughs> sure. Let's, let's uh, segue Talk here. a little bit more about how you go about finding a house that you're going to build. It sounds to me like you're buying older houses and scraping those and then building a new house or are you just finding lots or what are you doing? So we generally look for older, smaller homes in high-end neighborhoods. And then what we'll do is we'll buy them and we'll run them out to the point that we're ready to start building and then we'll scrape them and we'll build new. Okay. So you buy them, you rent them out. <laughs> I was we buy them. We're to the point right now that we have, we're doing such a large volume that I try and make sure that we have projects out for the next year. Wow. So when the stuff we're buying right now, um, we like to buy lots that we're, we're going to build on that have existing houses on them because I can generate an income stream while we're waiting. Um, so instead of buying a vacant lot where you're just sitting on the money that you have out there, or the loans you have on it until you build, we buy a house, we continue to rent the home because they're generally rented. If they're not, okay. then we'll, we'll find a short-term yeah. renter. We put a renter in there until we have our plans approved with the city and we're ready to demo Got, the okay, home. Okay, so you're waiting to get your plans point, approved and that takes right. a couple months at least. Uh, you know, months. yeah, two to three yeah. months, but we can generate, you know, while we're waiting or while, you know, like we, we're buying a double lot uh, this next week. Um, it's in a really high end neighborhood. It's got one house on it. 
we're going to split the lot, build two new homes on it. Well, while we're in the lot splitting process, we're going to keep the houses there and rent it out so we can generate 15 to 1800 bucks For a month sure. in revenue. Because the splitting lot's going to take a lot longer than just a regular if you weren't splitting it, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we, we've added a lot of square footage to homes, and we'll do something similar. If the house is already rented out, we'll just keep them there until we get through the permit process and, and whatnot. Yeah. Cause when you do these bigger renovations or new build processes, you know, it's not like you can just start and get going, you know, sure. you got to get your plans done. You got to get them approved. Um, there's a lot more to it. I just bought a house with three other guys, which I don't usually partner, but and this is a really expensive house. So, um, in Pacific Palisades and yeah, it's going to be a process. It's going to be over a year, you know, probably 18 month project. So we're <laughs> sounds like a bit, sounds like a big deal. Uh, yeah. This is your interview, so we'll talk about that later, but uh, it is a big deal. So, let's, so building these houses, so just take us through the process. I mean, try to make it not so overwhelming for the people listening, how you go about okay. it. Okay, so in, I guess in simplistic terms, what you do is you find the, the property, which we kind of talked about already, what we look for. Um, once we find the property, um, we pick a house plan, and we've got a, a number of house plans that we've already built. Um, we try and we don't. We're not like a, a volume conveyor belt builder. We do a, a pretty large volume, but we do enough that we can make each house very specific. We can take our time and really do a lot of nice design work and really make it kind of a work of art. So we built kind of a high-end brand in our market. Um, so the houses that we put on the market generally sell really fast, even though they're you know high-end homes. Um, so as that kind of relates to our process, we buy the property, um, we pick out our house plan, we then have to submit uh, those plans for approval with the city. Uh, once the city approves them, then we can apply for a demo permit of the old house. And once we then uh, knock down and remove the old house, we can start with putting our foundation in, framing the new home. And then at that point, it's the same thing as a rehab. Wow. Very cool. I like that. At that point, it's the same thing as a rehab. And I think it's important that people realize, even though there are some differences, it is very similar to rehab in the fact that I'm sure... Just like you find your ARV for a rehab, you're probably looking for your ARV for what the home will sell for after you rebuild it, right? And your comp. Exactly. Now, the, on the flip side, um, you know, generally you can get a little more per square foot for new construction okay. than you can for a, a renovated okay. home. It's just the way that the market is because it's it's brand new. Nobody's lived in it. The market will generally pay a little more for that house. Okay. So basically figure out what the home will sell for after it's built. You kind of come up with your projection, what you think it'll sell for you figure out, okay, what am I buying this house for or the lot for? And what is it going to cost me to build? What are you building per square foot on average? Um, it depends. Uh, we're generally around 90 bucks a square oh, foot. That's really good for higher end. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Now we, you know, we did a street of dreams home this year, which is in Portland. That's every year they have what they call street of dreams, which is uh, really luxury high end homes. And there's usually five to eight of them. And uh, it's a month-long uh, show where people can go through every house and tour it and um, basically see what's on the cutting edge of housing and, and home building. And so we did a home in that show this year um, that we recently sold. It was about a $2 million home. And um, that house cost us significantly more than 90 bucks square foot to build because it, you know, it was a high-end, super high-end house. What, can we use that as kind of a case study? How specific can you get on that? Um, I mean, I, I'll be a, a little vague, okay, but it's, I'll it's talk out there. About people know the about what the house is specifically. Cause it was yeah, up, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily say what we made okay. on it, but I'll tell you okay. about the process okay. and kind of you know, that kind okay. of thing. Um, 
But this house was a uh, we paid for the lot. We paid three hundred and sixty thousand bucks just for so the how'd lot. How'd you find that lot? Um, and then the lot was I actually knew the developer who developed um, the property, and so um, I then approached him about um, I guess purchasing the lot. Um, and they were tied to the Street of Dreams because anybody that bought the lots was likely going to be in the Street of Dreams show. Okay. So we had to basically get the developer to sell us a lot, and then we had to have the Home Builders Association for our area approve us as a builder to be in the show. Um, so that's kind of how that came about. Cool, man. So how long? I mean, this project took quite a while, right? This was a big project. Yeah, this was this was a big project for us. You know, it, it probably we crammed about eight months worth of construction into five and a half nice. months. So there were a lot of long days, and um, you know, it was it was over a million bucks to build the home. So wow. it uh, it was a lot of construction. So you're not you know giving us the specific numbers, but I can pretty much figure out. <laughs> It would have been a lot more cost effective for us to go build a, a number of infill houses like we normally do versus doing this house. Yeah. But it gave us a lot of exposure. It really legitimized our high-end brand. Um, everybody knows who we are now. Um, you know, we won a lot of awards with the That's home and we sold it quick. Yeah, well, so. it sounds like you still did pretty well. I mean, you bought it for 300 put in about a million into it and sold it for close to two. And of course, there's all those, you know, holding expenses and selling expenses. But yeah, and those things are fairly sizable. Fortunately, like I mentioned before, we um, we have our own in-house real estate company. So on a house of that size and you're down in California, so there's a lot more of them in that price point. Um, you know, real estate commissions on that are 50 grand yeah, a side. So sure. buyer's agent, seller's agent is 50 grand. Fortunately, since we have in-house real estate, we didn't have to pay one side of that, so it saved us about fifty grand. Um, so that that really pays off on our high-end houses to keep our numbers, keep keep the money more in-house than having to pay it awesome. out. Awesome. So, what is the best thing about building houses, and what is the one thing that people should maybe be careful when it comes to spec building or building houses? Um, the best thing is they're actually easier than big wow. rehabs. Um, just because you can sub out just about everything with big rehabs, there's so much in between stuff that it, you know, subs don't all do with uh, new home building. You can essentially sub out the entire process. So then it just becomes more of a management game of making sure this guy showed up and did this, this guy showed up and did that. And it's just a real conveyor belt process. Whereas with rehabs, you know, it's like, well, did this get done? Well, shoot, we can't do this anymore. We got to do that. And it, so it's it's kind of like a big game of Jenga with big rehabs versus a new construction. It's just a much simpler conveyor belt process once you get it down. Very interesting. Well, yeah, we've uh, yeah, we've we've actually considered doing some building. And, you know, if anyone out there not to put a shameless plug, but if you got a lot or a house you want to sell me that needs to be rebuilt, bring it on. If you're in Portland area, call Tucker. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, we covered a lot of stuff so far, Tucker. Um, what else? Let's. We have a few more minutes. What, what have we missed? Anything about your business, or I don't know. Give us. You know, I think uh, I think we've hit a lot of the stuff, really. Um, you know, we do uh, we do do large rehabs as well, like we kind of mentioned. Um, but one of the niches that we focus on when we do that is kind of something I think you said you do, which is uh, adding square footage. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a hot topic right now. Sure. Um, a lot of investors are trying to get into, I guess they call them pop tops or something like that, where um, you know you go in and you add square footage or a second story onto houses. Um, we've been doing that for quite a while, but it's just kind of recently caught you know fire as far as a lot of investors getting into that game. So my suggestion would be it's a great game to get into. You can make those great six-figure paydays on those kind of houses, but make sure that you pay for good design. 
and don't try and design the homes yourself if you do get into that game. Um, if you're going to get in the high-end market and start adding square footage, make sure it's a really quality product and that you spend some money on design. For sure. And just to make it, this might be obvious, but to some people, I mean, not the reason why it might make sense to add square footage is, you know, you may have a regular house, which if you just rehab it and sell it, you may not make that much of a profit. But if the price per square foot that the home is worth is worth a lot more than it costs you to buy. Wait, I'm getting this all mixed up. <laughs> so I'll, I'll try I'll try it for you. So if you're doing it, generally people that do pop tops or add square footage do them in higher end neighborhoods. So let's say you buy a house, it's a thousand square feet. You add a thousand square feet, it costs you 90 bucks a square foot to add that exactly. thousand square feet. That's what I meant to say. You then sell it at 200 bucks a square foot. Yes. And so you essentially create your margin through adding square footage instead of just renovating the existing. So you footage. essentially it could have created a deal where maybe there was no deal before or exactly. Or, so we can pay, you know, almost retail yeah. for smaller homes and then add the square footage and make our money on the or market. Or at least maybe made a deal a lot better. So exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. But everyone keep in mind, you know, there's things that come up with permits and um, like Tucker said, make sure you're working with, with some professionals. Don't just get out there and yeah, don't cowboy it. If you're doing <laughs> I mean, definitely. Plan it out. Make sure you got the right team members involved to get into that game. But don't be afraid. I mean, if you tie one up and you don't know what to do, wholesale it out or partner with somebody or find the right guys to work with. Exactly. My suggestion would be, you know, if you want to get into that game, find the house and partner with somebody like me in your market sure. um, and learn it, learn how they do it. And then you can just rinse and repeat and do it yourself. Awesome. Well, Tucker, I can't thank you enough. Um, I've learned a ton. Um, I'm going to have my assistant listen to this right away. I'm going to, you know, ahead of everybody else <laughs> <laughs> and start implementing some of this right away. I mean, working with, you know, probates and the driving for dollars and the internet marketing, I just a lot of great stuff. So what is one final piece of advice that you would give to anybody looking to uh, get involved in this business or to take it to the next level? Um, you know, I kind of mentioned this on another podcast, but I think momentum is the biggest key. You really, if you start doing something like, let's say, direct mail, because a lot of people are getting into direct mail now because there's not a whole lot of deals um, outside of the direct to seller uh, area, just keep doing it. Don't do one mailer and stop. Um, and if you get one hate call, don't stop. You know, keep it going. Keep your momentum going. And, and when you get a deal in, keep it going even more because you can build on that momentum. And it's amazing how that snowball gets bigger so much quicker so it's hard to get it rolling at first but once it gets going just keep it rolling Love it. so tucker if, if anyone wants to get a hold of you how can not get a hold of you get a hold of you or follow you or whatever is there a website or something uh, there's a, yeah there's a couple ways uh they can find me on, i'm on facebook i've got a number of different pages for the businesses and um some other stuff um and that's just facebook.com backslash tucker Merrihue. And then um, you can check out my business pages. Uh, the main one for our um, finished product is uh, ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. And uh, there's a couple others that you can put in the show notes, which is uh, ttmcash.com and sell2ttm.com. Perfect. We'll put all those in the show notes. Uh, Tucker, I can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. Um, glad, you, glad you enjoyed it. I think we got some good stuff did. out there for so you. I'm listener. excited, man. And I will, uh, yeah, let's stay in touch. I'm, I'm glad I got to know you better. And... We will talk to you soon, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Whoa. How was that for an action-packed, content-filled interview? My head is still spinning. What's funny is right after the interview, 
I talked to Tucker for just one minute and told him what a great job he did. And he was like, man, honestly, I can't believe I talked about all that stuff. There's some things you kind of caught me off guard on. And if you had asked me ahead of time, I probably wouldn't have gotten into that much detail on it. Uh, but he was happy to do so. And I'm just pumped. Um, I kind of, during the interview, I kind of got a little into the, the point that I forgot I was even doing an interview. I just got so focused on questions that I actually had. And I'm going to be implementing a lot of this into our business. In fact, I'm going to send this recording over to my assistant right now so I can get a head start on the rest of you. <laughs> no, just kidding. All about abundance, right? It's all good. So anyway, thank you, Tucker. That was a great interview. We're going to have to have you back sometime. Uh, just really great stuff. Really killing it up there in Portland, Oregon. So since I did kind of get caught in the moment, if you have any questions, you know, sometimes I forget that there's some beginners out there. So if you have any questions at all, please head over to housefippinghq.com slash episode six, or you can go straight to the website, check out the podcast section, and you'll see Tucker's interview there. Put some questions in the comments section under the show notes. And Tucker has agreed that he'll answer any questions you guys have on his business or any questions you have for me always happy to help out with that. Also, if you liked what you heard, go to housewhippinghq.com slash subscribe. That's subscribe all in lowercase letters and please leave us a rating and review, hopefully five star, but whatever your heart desires and that will mean the world to us. Also, if you have yet to get uh, my free 10 page report on how I purchased 200 homes in the last two years, the six methods we use, I just lay it out in there. Um, someone just got back to me today, told me how valuable that was to them. And I'm just kind of really open with every way that we've purchased uh, homes over the last two years that we've bought 200. Uh, there's six different ways. Go there, check it out. Uh, that will also give you weekly updates to any blog post we write, any podcast that comes out. And my goal is to give you nothing but pure content that really helps you out. So please subscribe to that and we'll send you that free report and we'll also give you all the updates on all the stuff we have coming here on House Whipping HQ. Once again, thank you all for all of your support. It just means the world to me and we could not be doing any of this without you. Now get out there, take some massive action, go make some offers, buy some houses. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do this because you can. And we will see you soon on the next show. See you at House Flipping HQ. Until next time. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your, your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos, and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.